donut, you know you can't want from God. I don't quite remember that part of Jonah, but that's all right. That's good. My name is Jesse Ryder. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Before we get started, I, I want to just ask you if you're willing to pray for something this week. Uh, this morning, uh, we sent out a team of about 15 individuals to uh, Jeffersonville, North Carolina, uh, with Samaritan's Purse as part of Hurricane Florence Relief. So they are down there just doing demolition and construction and just helping to repair some homes, but certainly interacting with some families who are, are going through some, some very difficult times. So if you'd be willing to just kind of keep them in your prayers this week as just as, as they're traveling right now and then throughout the week as well. I also want to update you on our Crossroads City Center. Just take a moment to talk about that. I know many of you have been involved in different service projects there and just different serve opportunities and been involved in some of the, the construction there and financially have been so supportive. And, and so I wanted to let you know a little bit of what's been going on there. Over the summer, we had the Superhero Training Academy, which was a, a great program for some of our neighbors there, a reading program. Uh, we kind of spent some time just teaching them students uh, reading and computer skills and just different things like that. Uh, we've had counseling centers utilize it for just different groups and different things going on there. Been to be able to be a part of just different events in the community, uh, the Pumpkin Glow and Trick or Treat, just so many great resources. Uh, our, our director down there, Nicole Blakely, has just done a fantastic job of, of connecting with people and setting some of these things up and just wanted to thank her. So, Nicole, where are you? I just saw right there. Would you just stand up? Can we just tell Nicole thank you just for a second? Thank you. So I wanted to let you know that she has decided that she needs to be home with her family right now. So she has recently resigned as a city center director. She has done such a fantastic job that we were so excited for her and the energy and leadership that she brought there. And we're so grateful for her. But she really felt that she, this is a season in her life where she needs to be at home with her children. And we're excited for her in, in that next season as well. So I will be the new city center campus pastor. And so my family and I are, are excited to kind of to be a part of this and, and to just kind of go into We got to spend some time at the building this weekend with Nicole. And I asked Nicole, I said, you know, what, what are some of your favorite things about the city center? And she said, there's really two things that really stuck out. There's probably more than two, but I, I'm taking two from them. And the first one was that, that superhero training, that reading program. Just watching the, the children grow and, and learning to read and learning to use the computer, but also grow in just relation with our volunteers that were there. And then even just seeing them in the community, how excited they are just to see our team, to see her. Said it was just such a blessing to her. The second one is if you're familiar with the areas that she loved, uh, the proximity to Uncle John's place. So if you know where that is, that's also. So, you know, my family is super excited to be a part of that. We are just, you know, we've been spending some time at the building there and just kind of meeting with different people. But here's what I need from you. We realize that this is going to be bigger than us, right? Certainly we're excited to be a part of it. But what we're really going to need is, is teams of people. So we have a, a bunch of different events coming up. We have a blanket distribution, uh, some different programs coming in. We need support from you guys. So if you are interested in joining the, the City Center, I would encourage you to stop by Next Steps before you leave today. Fill out a card and just mark City Center on it. And we will contact you and let you know what that will look like. Uh, but we would love to just build a lot of teams that are just all about just being downtown and just being a resource for the community and just, just having a blast down there. So if that interests you, stop by Next Steps. We'll take care of you out there. But we would love to have you. And so, you know, change happens, right? In life, change happens. Organizational change happens. 
it's inevitable. Change will happen in some capacity. You know, for us, our, our, our desires change. Our thoughts change. Our bodies change. I don't know if you've ever had one of those, oh, I'm getting old moments. I, I just had one not too long ago, and it kind of threw me for a little bit. I, I, I haven't really had one before. And so here, I was sitting on the couch, and I got up. I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of stiff. I'm kind of sore. Like, what did I do today? I sat on the couch. I was sore from sitting on the couch. And so, you know, sometimes our, our bodies change, and sometimes there are people who are all about change. They want to lead the way, and they will, if it's not working right, let's change it, let's fix it, let's make it better. There are other people, though, if, if you change one thing, their life is ruined, right? We've always done it this way. We'll continue to do it this way. Even if it's not working, we're going to keep doing it this way, right? Change is inevitable. Change happens. And so there, there's all sorts of different ways you can change. And so what we're going to talk about is it's kind of that, that self-change, right? How do you change yourself? How do you do that? And so I looked online. I was just curious, you know, what sort of resources are available to you? I looked at Amazon, some bookstores. I was like, what, what, is, what are like self-help books? How do they work? Like, what is that like? And what I realized is that these self-help books, there's tons of them. And because there's tons of them, they're always trying to like outdo one another. Like with, with a different gimmick or a different method or a different title is what I learned. Is that there are some really creative titles of self-help books. And to the point where I started writing down some unique ones. And so I thought, you know, I would love to share these, these four titles that I found. Before I share the titles, let me preface it by saying, I've not actually read the books. I'm not endorsing the books. I just find the titles to be highly amusing. All right, so the first title that I found, Why is my dog the happiest person in the room? That's a valid question. I, I, I don't know how to answer that. The second one, a little more blunt to the point, just stop having problems, stupid I almost bought this book because I thought, if the book is like page one, just stop having problems, stupid, page two is like the end, like, that's, a, that's a good book, all right, great. Number three, maybe not quite for everybody, so your son is a centaur. I, I don't know, I, I just thought it was amusing, I don't, I don't know what it means. The fourth one, though, clearly the best one, makes a great Christmas gift. You're not crazy, it's your mother. Actually, no, that does not make a great Christmas gift. Never mind, there's no way that that ends well. No way does that end well. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the way things change. All right, we're going to look how Jonah changes, the change we see in Nineveh. We're going to look at all these, these different types of change. So in your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's page 775. If you don't have a Bible, please take this Bible home with you so you have a Bible to study. Jonah chapter 3, page 775, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. 
and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So we, we see this, this change in Jonah. Right, that Jonah, is just, he's gone through some changes. And here's how we know. Because if you look back at chapter 1, what was asked of Jonah is the same thing that was asked in chapter 3. And so what's interesting is, as you think through this, Jonah's where he's at, it's been a rough couple of weeks for Jonah. Right, last week Pastor Ryan talked about you know, Jonah being inside the, the belly of a fish. Now, I have not spent a lot of time in the belly of a fish, but I would assume that it's probably physically exhausting, right? Because if I spend a lot of time anywhere, one of my first questions is, what is there for me to eat? And so I could assume in that setting, certainly in that moment, he's having a heart-to-heart with God. He's kind of pouring everything out, and there's a spiritual component where he's just, he's excited, and he's, you know, spiritually invigorated. But also, he's in there for a period of time in which he'd want to eat, and you look around, and there's just like sushi everywhere. Right? In that same period of time, Jonah would be there, you would, he would need some rest. This followed by the fact that previously he had been thrown overboard from a ship. That was after the fact that he had been running from God. Jonah would be physically exhausted. Right? It has been a rough period of time. And so he's physically exhausted but spiritually ready. And so he's just kind of got this battle that's inside of him. And so as we look through Jonah and this message that he was given, really what we see that this change that goes in his life is not from a self-help book necessarily, but really it's God's grace changing Jonah. And there's, there's really three aspects of God's grace we can look at. The first thing we need to remember is that God offers second chances. If you go back and you look at chapter 1 and see the message that God gave to Jonah, compared to chapter 3, the message that God gave to Jonah, they are very similar. Right? The author kind of lets us know the message did not change. God did not change what he was asking. God did not change who he was asking. In fact, God did not even change how he was asking. What happened is that God's grace changed Jonah. You know, sometimes for us, sometimes we get too focused too distracted on the surrounding things that we don't hear what God is saying. We kind of build up our own walls, our own excuses. God, did you think about it this way? God, did you know that I like to do it a certain way? God, did you know I kind of, this is kind of how I prefer things? And we build up these walls, we build up these distractions, and we can never really hear what God is saying because we build up our own parameters. But thankfully, God's grace, God offers second chances. We see that with Jonah. Jonah, for whatever reason, did not hear what God was saying and ran from it, ran from the instructions. God offers second chances. The second thing we see is that God does not negotiate. Right? The the message that was given to Jonah did not deviate. It was not now a little bit easier or a little bit quicker or a little bit lighter. It was the same message. God didn't negotiate with Jonah. 
It was the same. In fact, throughout Scripture, we don't see God negotiate. We see words like all. Go into all the nations, the Great Commission. In Mark 12, 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? Some versions may say whole or complete, but you get the picture. This is not negotiating terms. Right? God wants all of us. Which is interesting because really we live in a negotiating culture. From birth to business, there's negotiations in our life. We do our best to try and figure out, can I get a little bit from this? Can I just have a little bit of this? We want to negotiate. In fact, if you're parents, you probably spend a lot of time negotiating with your children. And so I, I have five children, and I believe I may have learned the art of negotiating, specifically through broccoli. So in my house, there are five children. Two of my five children are very, very different eaters. One of them does not like fruit, does not like juice, does not like candy, anything like that. Also, they do not like broccoli. But I am a firm believer of the nutritional value of broccoli. And so I said, all right, you need to eat some broccoli. I remember the first bite of broccoli she took, she put it in her mouth and gagged. Like gagged, gagged. I thought, oh, man, like, is this bad? And like, is this like for show? Like, how do I? I was like, well, take another bite. And I'm like, is this bad? I don't know. And so we'd sit there and she'd keep gagging and gagging and kind of like work through it and kind of like muster up the courage to eat it. I have another daughter who will eat it providing I can allow eight hours for dinner, right? It, it would be like she would pluck like one little like thing of broccoli off, put it in her mouth, chew it for 75 minutes, and then sit there like, hey, take another bite. One little thing, 75 minutes. And then like, I'm like taking naps at the dinner table now, right? So I've learned to negotiate through broccoli. I would say to them, in my mind, I would have a target number I wanted to get to. Let's say my target number, I wanted, I wanted them to take four pieces of broccoli. I would start high. I'd say, all right, guys, tonight for dinner, I want you to eat seven pieces of broccoli. Seven, really, Dad? Yeah, guys, seven pieces of broccoli. How about three? No, guys, we're not going to do that. I said, maybe six? They said, oh, man, what if we just did five? I said, okay, I'll let you have five. Right, so I thought, I, I figured this out. So I'm thinking, like, I could apply for, like, a hostage negotiator. Like, sir, what's your experience? Well, I have five kids, and they all eat more broccoli than they need to. You're hired. All right, you, you made it. Right, so we, we live in this negotiating culture. We want to get something. We want to kind of just kind of maybe give a little bit so we can get a little bit or give a lot and then get a lot. We kind of negotiate our lives like that. God does not negotiate. God wants all go into all the nations love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul with all your strength god doesn't negotiate the third thing we see about god's grace is that god does not give up we see jonah run right the other direction we see him run we see him try and hide signs that he was trying to avoid god but what we learn through this is that certainly as you read this story, you think, hey, this was about changing Nineveh. Now, Nineveh needed to hear this message so that they could change. And certainly there, there is an element of truth to that. But it's also about changing Jonah. 
that God wanted to change Jonah. And so what we see through this story is that God is relentless. God does not give up. God's grace is relentless. God is relentless. He is relentless in his goodness. He is relentless in his kindness. He is relentless in the joy that he shows. He is relentless in the, towards us his love. He is relentless against the enemy. He is relentless in his holiness. Despite our shortcomings, God's grace is relentless. And see, we, we think we can outrun God, we can outlast God, we can outwit God, but I can tell you, this is a battle you will not win. But when you lose, it is a great victory. We see that God's grace is relentless. We see this change in Jonah. Through God's grace, we see Jonah change. And because Jonah changed, he goes to deliver this message, and then we see the change in Nineveh. He delivers this, this sermon. In Hebrew, it was five words. English, it's eight words. It says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God used Jonah's words as the vehicle for change for Nineveh. I want to look and I want to look at the king's response for a second. What's interesting is that as we read the story, we said it was a three days journey. One day into the journey, the king heard the message. And it says, from the greatest of them to the least of them. They understood the power of this message. They understood what was being told of them. So in verse 6, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You know, we see in there about the sackcloth and the ashes. In this culture, it was often common that you would use some sort of external expression for an internal change. So sackcloth and ashes were, were commonly used for grieving or mourning the death of someone. But in this case, it was for repentance, grieving of their sin. They were so just upset about what they had done that they felt they were grieving for their sin. And so we see that the, the king issues this proclamation. And it, the word proclamation is interesting because the Hebrew word actually translates more to like a startled response. Like he, he just felt like he, he, he was so convicted he had to do something. He had to say something. And so we see this, this response about it. This is what we're doing. Because of how bad it's been, this is what we need to do. And it's interesting because if you look at this, there's a kind of a strange line that it really doesn't fit the rest of it. He recommends that the people do not eat or do not drink. But it's not only the people. He says also the beasts, the herds, and the flocks. Now why would the beasts, the herds, and the flocks not be allowed to eat or drink? And so scholars believe really it's because they thought this was the beginning of how temptation would form for them. That if they were fasting, but still feeding the beasts, the herds, and the flocks, these animals would become bigger and bigger, and they'd begin to think about some of the food that they could get from them. And all of a sudden, they become kind of enticed by their own desires, begin thinking about that, those temptations, rather than focusing on what really mattered. 
And so what's interesting is that we kind of think about that, that same thing in our life. Right? That that's, that's how temptation works. That's how enticing works. That we're so focused on what we can't have instead of what we do have. But that's what temptation does. Temptation promises you something. You don't have this. You could have this. Think about it. Greed, adultery, stealing, drug addictions, alcoholism, pornography. You don't have it, but you could have it. Oh, you don't have enough money? You could have enough money if you did this. Oh, you, you don't feel a certain way you want to feel? You could feel that way if you did this. Oh, you, you don't have that girl? You could feel, you could have that girl if you did this. That's, that's what temptation is. It makes you think that it's okay for you to have this. It entices you into believing that this is okay. And so what we see with the king is the king says, don't let your temptations be temptations. Get rid of them. Get rid of those, those desires that don't bring any good to your life. We'll talk more about those in a second. So we go through Nineveh's change, and we see this, this community has changed. What was very, a very self-seeking, selfish community is now changing. Right? Think about the ramifications this would have in a self-seeking community. A military that was known for being very brutal, very grotesque in how they would handle their business. People who were known for just being carried only about themselves. That only their thoughts and their desires mattered. This would change the way this area functioned. And we see that it does. For a period of time, we see change in Nineveh, which would lead us to what we would then assume would be God's change. But here's what's interesting for us to think about. We don't really see God's change so much. As much as we do, we see God relent. If you study the Old Testament, if you study even the New Testament, you'll see God's character is not going to change. Right, Malachi 3, 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is not changing. What we see is God relenting. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, we see God kind of basically say what he's going to do. This is what he says in Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. We see that God is not changing. Right? Man will change. Man has the opportunity to respond and change. But God is not changing. So then the question becomes, if man can change, how does that take place? We've talked about God's grace. We know we need God's grace to change. But what is our role within it? And the answer that we see in Jonah, we see in Nineveh, is repentance. Now, repentance, if you've been around church long enough, it's one of those words you hear about, you use, but do we fully know what it, what it means? Repentance is the internal change of mind based upon the grace of God, that leads to an external action. So there, there's really a couple things we need to kind of understand about repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, 
whereas, godly, whereas worldly grief produces death. The first thing we need to know about repentance is that repentance, you must have the right attitude about sin. Repentance begins with the right attitude about sin. Right? You have to see your sin for what it is. Romans 3 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if we believe that, it really leads us to kind of two options of how we believe that. There is one view that says, all right, if I'm always a sinner, if I've always sinned, well then, that's who I am. There's no need to change. Sin is a part of my life. It's who I am. It's just going to be me. I've done too much. I've done too much bad. And you begin to justify sin in your head. You make sin seem like it's not bad. It's normal. It's fine. I'm not as bad as this person. I've not done as much as this person. I don't talk like this person. And so what, what tends to happen is then you'd rather deal with the consequences of sin than the consequences of repentance. You have to have the right attitude about sin. So the other view says, I, I am a sinner, but I am in need of repentance. I need to flee from my sin. I need to get rid of the sin that is in my life, not let it linger around. The second thing we, we see then is that we need to stop the pursuit of, of sin. Stop the pursuit of sin. Now, that sounds interesting. Right? I don't think anyone would like declare that they're going to be pursuing sin. Seems like an obviously poor choice. But what we have to remember is that a pursuit happens one step, one moment at a time. So when you take that one step in that pursuit, you begin the pursuit. When you take that, that one decision towards that pursuit, you begin the pursuit. We have to learn to stop the pursuit of sin. In our lives, we pursue lots of different things. Right? If you think about our lives, we, we pursue all sorts of different things. Hunters could pursue animals. Teams could pursue championships. If you were here last week, we learned that Pastor Ryan is pursuing a date. Right? Employees pursue raises, promotions. Right? We pursue all sorts of different things. So we have to remember, every decision, every step, every moment is either a step towards it or a step away from it. So you're either pursuing or you're fleeing. And sometimes we, we come up with this idea of, you know what, I, I'll be fine. I, I'll, just, I'll be fine. Sin, it's okay. It's over there. It's not that big a deal. Can I tell you that in the New Testament, the words it uses in regards to sin would be words to flee from sin, to kill sin, to get rid of sin. None of that kind of has that let sin hover around and you'll be okay type of message. Right? In fact, what, what the New Testament we find out is that if you let sin hover in your lives, it will catch you. And not only will it catch you, it will devour you. Flee from sin. Throw it away. Kill sin. Get rid of it. then we need to realize that God's offer of grace and mercy is still available. Sometimes we'll make excuses and think that our excuses or our mistakes are bigger than God's grace. Uh, I'm too messed up, too far gone. It's too much. I've done too much. It's been too bad. Right? We need to remember God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. 
God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. And we'll try and we'll try and like argue that. And you know, what if what about this? What about this scenario? What about, you know, I've, I've been struggling with an addiction. You know, no matter how many times, God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. You know, I, my sin has, has ruined my family. God's grace is bigger. No matter how bad it was, God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. You know, I, I've, been, I've been an alcoholic for like all my life. God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. No matter how long it's been going on, God's grace is bigger. So we need to remember that, that we need to repent. And really, failure to repent is a form of idolatry because you're saying, I value my own image more than I value God's. And then we need to learn to turn from sin toward God's offer of grace and mercy. We need to turn towards God's offer. Now, we've been talking about turning a lot. So how do you, how do you practically turn? Right, we keep using the phrase, turn from this and turn from that. What does that look like? And, and really, it, it's seeking accountability. Right? It, it's seeking that Christ-centered community. Seeking wise biblical counsel. But maybe, maybe it's also removing yourself from that sinful atmosphere. Right? Where you just, sin is just kind of lingering around. You put yourself in situations where the goal of other people is not to not be sinning. And you're just in that, that sinful atmosphere. In fact, it reminds me of this, this story I heard the other day. Uh, there was a guy who had called into a, a radio show. And he said, listen, I've been cleaning cobwebs forever. There's cobwebs everywhere. I clean up some. I go clean up more. And he goes, they just keep coming back. He goes, how can I get rid of all these cobwebs? And the guy said, kill the spider. Right, kill the spider. And sometimes that's true within our lives. Right? We deal with the consequences of sin. We, deal, we live in this atmosphere of sin. We're surrounded by it. We don't really take care of it. We let it linger. And so then we have all these cobwebs everywhere. We never kill the spider. And when you don't do that, you end up with just problems everywhere. Cobwebs everywhere. To realize that God's grace is bigger than your mistake. And then the final thing within that is to seek forgiveness. That true repentance will come when you seek forgiveness. You say, God, I, I am sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what I've made this. I'm sorry. And you earnestly seek forgiveness. And we see that forgiveness with God's grace and repentance all go together. But then we know that God is faithful to forgive and produce righteousness in us. God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. God is relentless. We see this with Jonah. Jonah tried to flee from God, tried to run from God. But what we realize is that Jonah was not really running from punishment. He was just prolonging his rescue. He was fleeing from his rescue, not even knowing it. And sometimes that's true in our lives where we just try and prolong the rescue. Instead of killing sin, instead of seeking forgiveness, it just lingers. We're just prolonging that rescue. 
And sometimes when we hear passages like this or we talk about repentance, it's easy to almost view sin in a quantitative type style. Where I don't have any big sin in my life, so I'm okay. I don't have a lot of sin in my life, so I'm okay. But it, it's, it's that method of thinking that begins to destroy. Right? Because when you let those little sins linger, when they hover, we see that they will catch you. And they will devour you. So this isn't about the idea of a big sin or a little sin. This is about sin. And that if there's sin in your life, then we need to repent. If there are distractions from God in your life, we need to repent. We need to seek forgiveness. And I would encourage you that if you're wrestling with that today, to seek forgiveness, to repent, to get rid of the sin, to kill the spider, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we thank you for a chance to be here this morning. Thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that you are a God who does not give up. And no matter how many times we've messed up, you're there. God, we thank you that you are a God who does not negotiate, does not let us off easy, but requires all of us all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. God, we are thankful for who you are. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we've made this life about something other than you. When we've let sin hover in our lives because we thought we'd enjoy it, because we thought it wasn't that bad, because for whatever our reason, Lord, we're sorry when that's been our life. Lord, our prayer this morning is that we have the courage to get rid of the sin in our lives. We have the courage to seek forgiveness. We have the courage to step up and to do what needs to be done. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the strength to do that. Lord, our prayer is that we would be a changed person. We would be changed because of who you are, because of what you've done. There would be a change in our lives because of your grace, that there would be a change in our lives. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we close today, I want to take a moment. I just want to praise God together. We've talked a lot about who God is, how God is relentless, how God offers second chance. He doesn't negotiate. And so to close today, can we just praise God for who God is today? Let's just sing out together.